My name is Piers Morgan, and I've been tasked with helping getting PY onto Deal or No Deal. Share the Mr. M History podcast with a friend, give it a rating on Spotify, and by the time Harry and Meghan finally leave the royal family, PY will be next to Grant Denyer. But on Piers Morgan tonight, we begin with the Xinjiang clique. We were talking about Tucker Carlson just off air before. Mm. Did you see his most recent adventure as of like circa two weeks ago? As in the interview with Putin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. I did see snippets of it. It was like a two hour and 15 minute interview. So I did watch it on double speed while I did the dishes. Hmm. Did you also see his adventure to the supermarket? No, I don't know if I did actually. When you go to get a trolley from the supermarket <laughs> and you need to withdraw your trolley from hmm. the chain of trolleys. Yeah. How do you do that? And then you just pull it. What if it's chained? What if it's, what if it's oh, you, chained? Like you put the coin in, right? Does it, do they oh. still do that? They still got this? I would potentially potentially put one of my, my left hand on the trolley in front, pushing that one forward and using my right hand <laughs> to pull the trolley no, he's in good. front. He's out. good. <laughs> oh, not his first trolley rodeo. Well, I was going to talk about the coin thing, but that... <laughs> um, yeah. So... The coin, yeah, like, you put the coin in and pretty, then that unlocks the little thing. Pretty yeah, yeah. standard practice, right? And mm. then to make sure that you put the trolley back where you, the effect where you found it, the coin serves as an incentive. Mm. So Tucker Carlson, basically his premise was that the West hasn't told you the full story about Russia, mm. which is a leaning I don't particularly disagree with. But his way of trying to communicate that was very funny in that he went to a Russian supermarket and explained the coin system and was like, what you can do is you can put this coin in the trolley and to make sure you get it back, you put the coin back in at the very end and you get your coin back and the trolley's back where it's supposed to be. And he's acting like, well, Russia, this really advanced society. That we <laughs> and then seriously, then like an hour later, he goes and interviews Putin and it's a pretty softball interview, which people are giving him stick for. I'm of the belief that that's the only way you're going to get Putin. And I'm also of the belief, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not necessarily against someone from the other side being able to communicate their side of the story. And if it's factually incorrect, we can just pick holes in it if it's factually incorrect. Yeah, I think I think I saw parts of it. And the part of it that I saw was like, you know, Putin was like, we want this war to conclude. And then Tucker Carlson was like, you know, see, like Putin's not. It's like, <laughs> it's like obviously by conclude, he means conquer the territory. Yeah, he, he has a claim to. So, it's, yeah, I, don't know, I thought it was a little, yeah. But anyway, like, did you also see the bit where because you Tucker Carlson failed to get into the CIA, and mm. Putin like when Tucker mentions the CIA and he's like, oh yeah, the guys that rejected you, and Tucker like stops and like Putin gives a little chuckle. As <laughs> no, I didn't see that part. It was it was it was interesting. Like a yeah, lot yeah. of it, I'll be honest. Like this is from someone that has a history podcast. The first forty five minutes are pretty boring. It's him just talking about Russian history mm. for for a long time, and it gets a little bit Dostoyevsky. <laughs> what? He's, a, on, guy, he's a guy from Russian history. I can't, I can't answer that until I've done twenty minutes of research and we talk at the water cooler <laughs> for the next little bit. Did you see Keith, the actor who played Keith in The Office, died? What? No, I yeah. didn't. I didn't. Oh no way! I didn't say that. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Like I think he posted about his illness about two years ago. Yeah. We don't know any more details, but yeah, it was oh, like nineteen hours ago, when the story broke. So mm. damn. Yes. That my look, I'll be honest, my knowledge of Dostoevsky really does extend to the office as well. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so what's the link to the office there? It's the trivia episode where uh, okay. David Brent's trying to like he realized he's been outgunned by the by Ricky, mm. the guy who I believe is Ryan. Ryan plays Ricky in the American office. 
And so what David Brent does is that he yeah, does an hour of research, comes back later and then just drops all these Dostoevsky facts <laughs> as per our conversation before. <laughs> um, we are talking Russian history today. Hmm. We are talking the dragon bear. Oh, I like that. I, I, I didn't coin it. But unfortunately, a lot of other countries can merge together like that and form this like Pokemon animal effectively. I know you try it like Australia and America, you get like Uncle Kangaroo. Doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't quite roll off the tongue. What was the first one? Dragon. Dr- Dragon Bear. Oh, no, no, no. For America, what was the Uncle? Animal? For Uncle Sam? Mm. It's not as medicine. Like, what's I don't it? understand. I, I guess they have the eagle. But <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I see what you mean, though. The, yeah. the dragon is really... That's the... That, I mean, that's mythical. That's right? the draw card, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And... We are going to be discussing the Russo-Chinese or the, the Sino-Russian relationship. And to do that, we actually have to go back roughly about maybe 400 years, mm. 1600s. We have Russian Cossacks. Mm. They, there's a country that is actually named after the Cossacks. Yeah. It's Kazakhstan. Oh, okay. But the Cossacks so weren't actually from Kazakhstan. So and that's, yeah, that's got a K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, doesn't exactly phonetically translate. Wait, so what, uh, do the, what do the Aussies have to do with... What's so there's, there's this guy called the Aussie Cossack. Okay. He's like... He came... It was pretty prominent during the era where, like, the sort of anti-lockdown crew really had mm. their, like, six months in the sun. Mm. He was a pretty prominent leader of that. He had beef with, like, guys in a current affair. He made it onto a Friendly Geordies video in a positive way. In that he like protested Fiona Martin, who was the local Liberal MP for that area, and she like called the police because he was just basically yeah trying to ask some questions. It was a little, a little bit excessive, so he got a lot of kind of fame and notoriety for that. But we do have the Russian Cossacks, and basically in the late 1500s, start of the 1600s, uh, we see saw this continual expansion of the Cossacks moving further east along Russia. So obviously. Russia's a huge landmass. For a long time of history, the Cossacks didn't occupy much of Russia, but we saw this continual expansion eastward in pursuit of fur for the kind of growing fur trade that's happening in the 1600s. You go far enough east in Russia, where you're going to eventually end up? Alaska. Yeah. And if you go south of Alaska? America. Uh, I suppose. But what do you need to... Japan. To, 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 get, to get to any of those countries, what do you have to cross? Water. <laughs> <laughs> the Pacific Ocean he's is what it's going for. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah, ice water is correct. <laughs> um, we have, yeah, the we, ocean. we have the pathway to the Pacific Ocean because they move further south, the temperature's warmer and the climate's more habitable, and the water is actually warmer, which makes uh, for easier access should you want ships to pass through. Now, this is an interesting time in Chinese history because this is the time where the last dynasty in China is popping up. And we call them the Qing dynasty. So, spelled Q-I-N-G. The Qing dynasty were from northeast China, otherwise what we would call Manchuria. So, they weren't ethnically Han. Remember that. That'll come in handy. That (laughs) will. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, when it comes to Chinese history, it's pretty hard to avoid Manchuria in any way, shape or form. So we have the Qing dynasty that are ethnically Manchu. Most of China is Han Chinese. We're talking probably 90% of China today would be Han Chinese. But the Qing dynasty are Manchus. And what's really interesting was up until this point, Russia and China had never had any contact with each other. The reason why there was a massive empire in the middle. 
Mongolia. Yes, the Mongols. Mongols. So the Mongols actually blocked access between China and Russia. And so they didn't really know of each other's existence. So they didn't really interact with each other. Obviously, the stories of ancient China, like guys like Marco Polo had brought that to Europe. So there was an awareness of China, but there was no interaction between the two. Had this been at any other period of history, the Manchus probably would have just sent the Cossacks back the way they came. But... The Qing dynasty or the, the Manchus, were they were far too concerned with kind of creating this new China. So they were far more concerned with like Western China and Southern China that they weren't too focused on governing their own backyard. So Manchuria wasn't actually an area of focus because everyone there was Manchu. What they were really focusing on was colonizing the Han Chinese. So this creates an opening for the Cossacks to actually settle relatively unopposed and they start settling along rivers in Manchuria. The issue is the Cossacks, they want to reach out to the Chinese to trade because obviously they're fur traders, they've got fur and China's got an abundance of resources that if they could trade with could actually have a really profitable trading relationship. The issue is the Russians didn't know it was Chinese etiquette to bring the emperor lots of gifts if you want to trade. So they rock up empty-handed. I don't know if you've ever had the experience before of... I've forgotten wedding gifts a couple mm. of times in my life. You're like a plus one to a party and you're like, am I supposed to like... And then the person in front of you says, hey, gives them like, gives them the present. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, you awkwardly need to be like, it's t- team gift. We're from both yeah. of us. <laughs> <laughs> I do know of a guy who was at an engagement party and they did a present opening with the crowd still around. Oh. And he didn't bring a present. And they went and thanked everyone who was there. So like, I think the whole crew was there to watch them open the presents. They thanked everyone individually after each gift. And then she looks at this guy and sees that there's no present from him. And she just has to say, thanks for coming. <laughs> and the guys internally died inside. And that guy would have made a very poor Russian Cossack because he couldn't have got anything from the Chinese emperor. <laughs> so basically the Chinese were like, no, 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 no. Come back when you've got gifts. Obviously... The trade would have been incredibly profitable for China, but there are procedures, there are customs. (laughs) You don't rock up to the emperor without giving him his gifts. Eventually, what happens is they sign a treaty later on. So we've got treaties that kind of happen in the successive centuries. Russia withdraw from the Amur Valley, but they still get to have a lot of territory on that eastern side of Russia, like sort of Siberia sort of way, and then even going further south towards Manchuria. And so Russia actually comes to have a pretty strong presence right on the border of China, And China's in a sticky situation now because they've got these new white settlers that are just north of their border and really having only had to worry about, at least from the land point of view, mainly the Mongols. And now they've got to turn their attention towards how do you manage this relationship with Russia? I'm going to fast forward all the way to World War One. Oh, speed run. Yes. (laughs) By the end of World War One, both countries or both king, what used to be kingdoms, now have had revolutions and have entirely different governments. We got China, we've got the 1911 revolution where a guy called Sun Yat-sen leads China to overthrowing the Qing dynasty and basically um, he kind of steps down after not very long at all and China kind of falls into this really weird warlord era where you've got just basically different factional kingdoms within the country warring against each other. In Russia, what's our revolution? Well, Tsar Nicholas gets out, doesn't he? Yeah, that's the first stage. And then fast forward sort of, what, eight months? Rasputin. (laughs) (laughs) He's in the first part. Ah. He's a, yeah, he's he's an opening, he's a prequel character. Mm. Mm. 
He's a Jar Jar Binks of sorts, if you will. <laughs> well, yeah. Surely someone, yeah, like surely that, that comparison must have been made. That's quite apt now that I come to think about it in terms of particularly like the th- conspiracy theory about Jar Jar Binks. Misa sleeper with your wife. <laughs> and then in October, what happens? So this, we're talking back if like February, March, depending on the calendar that you use. And then October, November. So Tsar Nicholas abdicates in February, March. On International Women's Day of all days. Tsar <laughs> <Just like laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, he would have watched Barbie. You know? <laughs> he <would've. laughs> I don't know, is there an invasion or is there an election? What? A guy comes back from Finland. Dostoevsky. Ah. <laughs> No, he doesn't. <laughs> I, don't think it's, I don't think it's him. I don't think it's him. Winding me up. Vladimir Lenin. No, Putin. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, Lenin a lot comes. A lot of jokes today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lenin comes back. and Who we, comes back? Vladimir Lenin. Okay, cool. And we see it's the Soviet Revolution or the Bolshevik Revolution. Yeah. So Russia has now gone communist. We've got the Soviet, Soviet Union that's been set up after... 1917 fast forward to the treaty of brest the next year they pull out of world war one and so now we've got these two independent countries we've got you know technically republican china or democratic china realistically it's just this country that's divided into all sorts of factional warlords and then we have the, the mighty soviet union and so the basically you've got an issue where the two of them are now these new ki- they're not old-time kingdoms anymore not old-time empires they're these new nation states and on the back of World War One, they've both been kind of left in a quite weakened state. China's gone through something called the century of humiliation, where they're no longer the dominant Asian power anymore. They, they've been replaced by Japan as the dominant power in Asia. Um, yes, the things like the Opium Wars, where basically Britain got them addicted to heroin because they wanted Chinese tea. <laughs> it's true. You've got, yeah. you got to do it for tea. <laughs> <laughs> First for and tea. second Opium Wars. Yes, they went to I war love, twice. I love thinking, like... I think about like, you know, what happened in America with like the, the Boston when they dump all the tea in the... Yeah. Like tea just has such an influence on sort of British history. <laughs> like, just has such leverage in kind of forcing their hand in things. It's like, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it feels so right. So the interesting thing with China is that it is this kind of country that's been divided into all these different factional kingdoms. The main issue is that there's... The larger, like the more dominant sort of faction is the Kuomintang. They're governed by a guy called Chiang Kai-shek. Might have heard of him before. There's these other warlords that are kind of scattered throughout. And then to the northeast, towards Manchuria, is eventually we have the Chinese Communist Party. Who was the leader of the Chinese Communist Party? Is it not Mao Zedong? Not originally. Okay. So he was not the founder of the Chinese Communist Party. We actually have these two other blokes. I never actually heard their names said out loud, but I'm going to assume it's pronounced as Chen Juju and Li Dejiao. They're these. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. They're these two guys. Yeah, I, again, I teach the teacher, I don't know how to pronounce the name. They're these two guys that set up the Chinese Communist Party. Now, in the Soviet Union, they've gone through, in the 1920s, they've gone through their kind of establishing phase. Lenin's died, Stalin's come in. So effectively, Stalin just kind of photoshopped into all these photos with Lenin to kind of portray himself as being close to Lenin. Hmm. Realistically, he wasn't, you know, first draft pick to be the successor to Vladimir Lenin. But what Stalin has done is Stalin has launched an attack on this group called the Kulaks. The Kulaks were effectively these wealthy peasants in Russia. And so Stalin has launched this... a wealthy peasant? Basically the way that, like, cotton farmers are rich. 
Yeah, okay. Like if you kind of mass, if you basically run your farm like a corporation, effectively have Russian serfs work your farm for you. Like think of it as being like, a, I don't know, a knight in the Middle Ages mm. of you have peasants work the farm for, like you, you don't have any royal title, but yeah, you've created okay. a power structure where all these peasants work your farm for you and you get the profits off of it. Mm. And okay. Stalin launches this class warfare against the Kulaks. Like this is the workers' revolution. It comes from the factories. It comes from the cities. And there's this rural-urban divide as well, where Stalin effectively goes to war against the rural provinces, and really tries to launch a class warfare attack against a group called the Kulaks. Different from the Cossacks. Yes. Mm. Okay. Again, uh, I, like and different from Kazakhstan. A lot of mm. like there's a lot of K's in that part of the world. Mm. We eventually, well, we go down south to China and the story's a little bit different in China. So we have this Chinese Communist Party that's that's up. They've got some small territory. Well, they will eventually move to Manchuria, but they're actually further south to begin with. They can't make any real gains. And there's no real appeal in China uh, because Shanghai and all the main factory areas in China are run by the Kuomintang. And they're Kuomintang controlled areas. And then they're going to go to the villages and they can't get these villages to sign up for the Chinese Communist Party because there's nothing in it for them. Like, according to Stalinism, they're the enemy. And so what Mao Zedong does, the reason why Mao Zedong is quite significant in the story is that Mao Zedong decides to change the definition of communism. And a lot of people in the communist bloc actually view him as a heretic for doing this. What is conventional Marxist-Leninism, so effectively conventional communism or orthodox communism, is that the revolution begins with factory workers and then spreads out. They're the cause for the revolution. That that was their argument was that that was what the Bolshevik revolution was. Mao was different. Mao was like contextually, we need to adapt communism for China because there's no way this will work in China. Again, I love the principles of national ownership and of equal distribution and of kind of of basically like eliminating classes in society. But we need to begin the revolution with the peasants, not the factory workers. And so Mao Zedong kind of has his own renegade brand of communism that actually goes against the Soviet model and glorifies people that would be class enemies in the Soviet Union. And so because of that, we think, oh, well, we'd go, okay, obviously in the warlord era, the Soviet Union would be strong supporters of Mao's communists because they're ideological friends. They're actually not. And there's a bit of a schism. Think of like, I don't know, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church or the, eventually like the Lutheran Church and the Catholic. There's a schism that goes on in the communist world. And we have Mao Zedong as a bit of a renegade figure, even within the communist bloc. We fast forward to the 1930s. Chiang Kai-shek and the Communist Party, they'd had a dual alliance that together they would fight against the other warlords and that they would be a united front together. Chiang Kai-shek does a dog shot and (laughs) in Shanghai actually launches a massacre against Chinese Communist Party members. And Mm -hmm. we run the show, not you. At that point, it is incredibly dangerous to be a Chinese Communist Party member. Um, And what actually happens is they migrate, they leave the South because it's too dangerous. And they actually migrate on foot. Um, It's called Mao's Long March or the Great March. I know you might have heard of that before. Mm -hmm. And the Communist Party actually, by foot, marches thousands of kilometres up to northeast China to where Manchuria is. And again, Beijing, the capital, it's northeast China. That wasn't the capital at the time. We had Nanjing and we had Chongqing that were the the capitals um, at different times of China. So you have basically this huge issue where the Chinese Communist Party has had to flee. Only after they fled did the Russians actually start supporting the Chinese Communist Party or did Stalin start supporting the Chinese Communist Party. So that's the top right or the northeast of China. Mm -hmm. 
The top center of China. What's that? Farms of rice. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. It could be some of those. So. It, well, that's not it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> In his head, it's like, it's like sometimes teaching classes, students are like, like you can see the thought process in their head of like, I don't know, like who started World War II? It's like, like I'm 95% sure I'm wrong, but I will kick myself if I was right about this. Was it Tutankhamen? <laughs> well, you got to ask the question. Is, um, is the Ukraine that central or is it more That's, that's, that's going further west. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. But, you know, you got to ask the question. Looking, <laughs> are you looking for like a city? Great Wall. Yeah, great. And what, what's Hill. just north of the Great Wall of China? The Great Wall of Mongolia. China Mongolia, to keep oh, the Mongols out. That's okay. cool. So, basically, Chiang Kai-shek very much had the ambition of bringing Mongolia back under nationalist control and or Kuomintang control. Hmm. So, he thought that Mongolia was part of his kingdom. The Soviet Union did not like that whatsoever. They wanted to have a buffer state between them and a powerful China. They didn't want to share a border. They wanted to have a series of countries in between. So should China become more powerful, they can't actually threaten the Soviet border at all. Have you ever had to have a buffer person in your life? Someone to someone to keep the peace. Someone to hold you back. You ever been like on a football field, you know, had to be held back? <laughs> um, I reckon it's like a, a guy in high school had, had beef with me, but most people weren't looking to buffer that. Most people were kind of... Have you ever been like at a wedding table or something and like were you one seat down, you would be stuck in a very difficult conversation all night, but thankfully one absolute mm. winner has been put in between you and this <laughs> difficult person? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I maybe. <laughs> like, I, know, I feel like I get along with people pretty well. <laughs> You're my buffer state, though. <laughs> mm, yeah. Do you think you've ever had to buffer for me, Ben? No, I don't. Maybe. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Definitely, as a teacher, when you're creating seating pl- seat, like seating plans, mm. you have buffer. <laughs> buffer people mm. that can yeah, stop okay. powerful factions in social dynamics from. <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I think I found in school I would there'd be much need for a buffer person, but that it just wouldn't happen. There was mm. it went the other way. <laughs> people were just wanting to incite each other, and that's partly my fault as well. I could definitely rile some people up when I wanted to, and um, that yeah, that was kind of just like nuggeting pencil cases. And <laughs> and people weren't really telling you to stop that. It was like. No, do it, do it, do it. it. Yes, the the, the theory, if you translate it to military terms, the theory would be that you let another country get nuggeted so that you don't get nuggeted. Um, So, like, we discussed it in the Pakistan episode. Like, Pakistan was created as a buffer state between India and the Soviet Union so that they actually could disrupt that supply line from from happening quite smoothly. Can't get enough of the nostalgic Aussie references. Wait a second, this is in HP. (laughs) The teacher just rips it off. (laughs) Well, I've got good news. You can get access to 30 additional podcasts with new additions regularly. There's stricter regulations about them buying a gun from US states. For just $1.50 you can hear about Ben's school captain campaign, Cam crying about getting a participation in the ICAS computer test and PY never getting his pen license. She's thought that, no the guy's name is, it is McDonald's. <laughs> it's, it's written down. It's written, we looked it at it. I would have liked to see the that is like It takes two seconds to sign up. So Stalin is very keen for Mongolia to be a buffer state, for Mao's communists to be a buffer state. And the last one is that he's actually keen for an area of China called Xinjiang. That area does not have Han, or doesn't have many Han Chinese. 
it's dominated by the Uyghur Muslims that we've discussed on the pod a couple of times before. Mm. So you mentioned on the Pakistan pod, Ben, that you loved the Pakistan Muslim League as like a title for a, a military group or a political party. Mm. This one is more my, my sort of alley here. The resistance group in Xinjiang to Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists was called the Xinjiang Click. <laughs> you can't resist with us. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chiang Kai-shek, we are having a social. We are going to post our outing on Instagram, and we won't tag you in. <laughs> we will not credit you as the photographer. <laughs> <laughs> On Wednesdays, we wear red. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the Uyghur Muslims were sitting on the stairs of the Upper East Side and the, <laughs> the Metro stairs, and more or less Stalin encouraged that. And again, because this was a buffer state for him. So in this case, he actually incited to have them be a buffer state on his behalf. And so in 1934, he supports a Xinjiang insurrection, it fails. In 1937, he then supports another Xinjiang insurrection, and 1937, he actually decides to call it off. The reason why is that Japan, they had Manchuria since 1931, but their kind of influence and their control in China was cordoned off pretty well. In 1937, they start rapidly advancing southwards and they take cities like Nanjing. There's the Nanjing Massacre, which was historically one of the worst events ever, where there was basically a contest in the Japanese military as to who could kill the most Chinese. Civilians, not soldiers, civilians. Mm. So that happens in 1937. Stalin, seeing he knows that he's going to war with Hitler down the track. Like that's been on the cards throughout the whole 1930s. Hmm. Hitler literally believes that the Soviet Union is German Lebensraum. He's put it in. He's put it in the ICAL. You know, like it's yeah. in the calendar. It's, <laughs> it's penciled in. It's invasion penciled. on the Daily Memos. <laughs> yeah. no, it's it's in pencil. <laughs> so. Stalin knows this happened. Obviously, Japan is moving towards being an ally of of Nazi Germany. So Stalin does not want Japan to occupy China at all. So Stalin, he backs off of Xinjiang and kind of temporarily backs off of Mongolia and is like, okay, we need to actually support Chiang Kai-shek in winning this war against Japan. By 1939, 1940, Japan occupies none of the Soviet attention because they've got to focus on Europe. And basically, you have this issue that in throughout World War II, the Soviet Union focused all their attention on Europe. And the last, like, in terms of fighting the Japanese, that's been the Australian, the British, and the primarily the Americans. And then you've got all the, na- like, the native uh, soldiers in places like the Philippines and places like the Solomon Islands and in Indonesia that also helped fight against the Japanese as well. So at the last hour, and we discussed this, I think, on the John Curtin and the Ben Chifley podcast, the last hour, so basically we've had Okinawa, we've had Iwo Jima, and America is just bombing Tokyo to death. And we're not talking atomic bombs, we're talking firebombing. And so Japan has well and truly lost the war by this point. It's just a matter of when. Now, America has yet to use the atomic bomb. At the last hour, the Soviet Union, having already defeated Hitler by this point, so Hitler's surrendered and Nazis are out of the war, Stalin decides to actually launch an invasion of Manchuria. And he sends his soldiers in to get rid of the Japanese in the northeast of China. When the atomic bombs dropped, Stalin goes to the table and Stalin goes, hey, I helped. I was, you, you couldn't have done it without me, boys. Yeah. And that actually secures Stalin a ton of influence in Asia. And they get a much bigger say in what happens to Japan than Australia did. Now, just before World War II ended, there was an important conference called YALTA. You might have heard before. It's an acronym. 
No, it's a city in okay. Russian-occupied oh, Ukraine. Sure, sure, sure. Ooh. So, at the conference, Stalin kept pushing. So, this was decided without Chinese consent. So, Chiang Kai-shek didn't get to participate. And between Stalin and Roosevelt, they decided, you know what? Mongolia should be independent. Yep, America backs that. It'll kind of lay some of its Xinjiang ambitions aside and will try and preserve sort of like a status quo agreement between the communists and Chiang Kai-shek when the war's over. World War II comes to an end. And basically... The Americans try and facilitate an agreement between the nationalists or the Kuomintang and the Chinese Communist Party to kind of divvy up the land with the Kuomintang having most of the land, but the Communist Party having some control as well and kind of a joint ownership of China between the two. That lasts all of about two minutes. Hmm. And so too begins the Chinese Civil War or so too is the kind of strongest chapter in the Chinese Civil War and that opens in terms of betting odds, I reckon you're putting Chiang Kai-shek at about a dollar five cents in 1945 to win the Chinese Civil War. Mm. Short odds. Mao Zedong, uh, give him give him eight bucks, I reckon, wow. to win the Chinese Civil War. After about two years, all's going to plan. The nationalists are looking pretty strong, but they can't quite finish off the Chinese Communist Party. Fast forward another year, and it's becoming a bit tricky. It looks like we're actually reaching something of a stalemate between the nationalists and the communists, even though the Kuomintang were put at heavy odds to win the Chinese Civil War. Stalin's watching all of this unfold. And again, Stalin is actually quite reticent to support the Chinese Communist Party initially. Yes, they're both communists, but ideologically they have total different understandings of what communism was. And at the same time, the Soviet Union just does not want a powerful nation on its, on its doorstep. A divided China actually works really well for the Soviet Union. And so they get to 1948, they see that the Kuomintang have yet to win, and they think, you know what? We can actually create a China that will be very favourable to us. And so basically at this point, the Soviets decide to intervene in the Chinese Civil War. The Americans provide equipment, but they don't provide direct military support. Chiang Kai-shek ignores US like instructions and, and US kind of guidance, and so they start withdrawing a lot of that support for him. You also have the issue that Chiang Kai-shek treated his soldiers horribly and they were paid quite little. You also had hyperinflation in China in the same era. And so basically the workers were earning or the soldiers were earning nothing. And Mao Zedong is offering them, if you come defect and fight for us, you get to take part in the workers' revolution and we can create a workers' paradise. Of course, on that logic, they decided to defect to Mao Zedong's communists. And eventually in 1949, Mao Zedong wins the Chinese civil war and Chiang Kai-shek has to flee to Taiwan, where he basically says, no, 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 I'm governing China, um, but he governs Taiwan and calls that the true China. Mm-hmm. Which one does America recognise as China? They're, they're Taiwan believers, aren't they? Yes. So up until the 70s. So they, for about 20 years, had recognised the Kuomintang as the true Chinese government. The Kuomintang got to have a seat at the United Nations, not the PRC, and the PRC was basically considered a rogue state even though it was massive and had control of the most populous country and a massive landmass, they didn't recognise the PRC as legitimate China. And basically there was an assumption of, we're just calling the jets for now. Yep, they're running it for now. We're not going to go get in a war over China just yet, but they're not the true China. This is the true China. The Soviet Union, they were actually slow to recognise the PRC. So Mao Zedong, he declares victory in 1949 and he goes to the Soviet Union and he's like, yeah, cool, so you're going to recognise me as the true China, right? And Stalin's like, 
I hear you. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. Am I right in saying you want to be recognized as the one and only China? He goes, not yet. And what Stalin is actually waiting for is Stalin wants American recognition of the PRC. In his eyes, American recognition is important. Yeah, they're in a Cold War, but he, in terms of like legitimacy, the final kind of stamp you need to get something through is America's approval. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let's just call the jets for now. Mao's obviously furious at this. Um, 1950 rolls around. We have the beginning of the Korean War. Kim Il-sung is desperate. Like he keeps pleading with Stalin. He's like, Stalin, oh, oh shoot, oh, shoot. Comrade, I presume he doesn't refer to Stalin by his last name. <laughs> Imagine if he said like a, like a geography teacher or something. <laughs> Mr. Stalin. Good morning, Mr. <laughs> Stalin. Um, yeah, basically, Kim Il-sung goes to Stalin and he pleads with Stalin to let the, the to, to let Korea reunify. Stalin is is hesitant at first. But he is cautious of America kind of having occupation and control of Korea. So he does give the green light to resource and supply Kim Il-sung in his invasion of South Korea. The Americans back the South and repel them back to North Korea, in which case the Chinese communists then get involved and they stop North Korea from falling to American hands. And they actually force a stalemate in the war where they have to go, all right, divide it in half, North and South. America gets America back to South, communists back to North. And for that reason... Stalin agrees to recognize China and they sign the Treaty of Mutual Assistance and Friendship. <laughs> there you go. The true China was the friend you made along the way. <laughs> Again, AUKUS, uh, no, like go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not signing that, but if you give me, you know, the, the Treaty of Submarine Friendship or something, you know, <laughs> my pen's on the dotted line. <laughs> you remember when we had the whole um, Facebook advertising fiasco where Facebook pulled a lot of news outlets from being able to post material. We had like that one month period in 2021. And then Scott Morrison said Facebook unfriended Australia when this is like before, this is like on his dying days of like, oh yeah, this is marketing genius. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, could you imagine the announcement of Australia accepted America's friend request. (laughs) Over to you, Britain. (laughs) (laughs) The other issue is in that partnership there's clearly a senior partner stalin is the senior partner and Mao is the junior partner harvey and mike harvey and mike yes harvey specter people like living life here (laughs) (laughs) me i like it here but ironically if it was stalin because of communist ideology (laughs) people like living like here I like everyone like you. And he holds it up to the exact same spot. What's, it, yeah. What's the other one? It's like... Break the goddamn wall down. Like, <laughs> you pulled out a gun on me. There's a million other things you can do when you have a gun pulled on you. As we frequently discuss in the podcast, I cannot believe that when I watched that the first time, I thought they were just such bosses. I'm like, yeah. oh man, this is cool dialogue. <laughs> so there's going to be a, a Suits LA. I did. Mm, interesting. Mm. Might have to do it. It's not uh, the same though. <laughs> Patreon live stream. <laughs> City. <laughs> so yeah, Stalin's clearly the senior partner here. But now, I don't know if you've seen that video of Usher. It's when, I don't know what TV show they're on. There's like, there's nine squares and there's nine different celebrities like James Corden and co singing in each of those nine squares. Usher thinks yeah, he's in the so. middle. And he's like looking at people like this, but when they play it back, he's in the bottom left corner and he's just pointing at all these people. I don't know if you've seen the video of all different no, directions. Okay, okay. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. Someone told Usher he was going to be the center. Uh, um, yeah. Poor Usher. 
Yeah, Mao Zedong's in that situation. So Mao Zedong thought that he... <laughs> Seamless parallel. <laughs> Mao Zedong to Usher. That he needed to be the centre of the communist world. Now, he was fine to play second fiddle when Stalin was alive because Stalin was the, like, they called him, like, the father of Russia. He was the leader of the communist movement. But when Stalin dies, he's replaced with a guy called Nikita Khrushchev. Khrushchev comes out and he denounces Stalin. <laughs> Again, people said, like, cancel, cancel culture is a new thing. Cancel culture, it fully <laughs> existed in the Soviet Union. I'm just like, I regret. And I, like, so basically what Khrushchev does is he apologizes for Stalin on a number of different things. The main thing that he apologizes for was for the Russian purges of the 1930s, where we have basically any ideological opponent to the party that gets neutralized or killed mm-hmm. um, or thrown into a gulag. And then he apologizes that Stalin created a cult of personality around himself. And he said, in the Soviet Union, we don't do that. We're all equals here. We're not creating any cult of personality around ourselves. Mao Zedong's watching that speech. be like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm sp- uh, my bad. I <laughs> didn't get that memo. <laughs> and there's friction between China and the Soviet Union. It kind of expands. So Mao goes to Russia and he recognizes Khrushchev as the leader of the communist world. And on the surface level reading of that, we go, okay, Mao Mao was happy to be number two Mm -hmm. to to Khrushchev. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that most historians more interpret it as more being of Mao more or less going, I crown you You, with my permission. Mm -hmm. You can be the leader of the communist world. And so I'm going to be the kingmaker within the team. Like when Steve Smith who wants that responsibility? Remember <laughs> <laughs> when Tim Payne was the captain and this was when Steve Smith was still on his leadership suspension at that point. Yep. But you've got Steve Smith like ordering in the field around and like mm-hmm. there was a whole yeah. lot of hum-ha about it. Um, basically, he was like, I'm, I'm the kingmaker. Mm. I don't have the title, but you need me to be the king of the communist world. Mm. And from this point onwards, China and the Soviets, they actually fall out really badly. So we have the desalinization speech and basically in that speech as well, Khrushchev more or less points out an issue with the Treaty of Mutual Assistance and Friendship. What? (laughs) (laughs) It could possibly be an issue. (laughs) The deal was that the Soviets give industrial experts to teach China how to make factories and in return, China sends laborers to go and work in Siberia. Not exactly a good trade <laughs> deal for the Chinese. Like, yeah, helpful, but like, say, a, a victory for the Chinese government, but mm. a total ripoff for the Chinese people. Yeah. Khrushchev apologizes for that and was like, yeah, we kind of screwed you over there. <laughs> now, you would think that would make Mao go, like, oh, awesome. This is, this is positive. Mm. Mao is furious that Khrushchev apologizes for this. Because <laughs> who looks like the idiot in this situation? Well, it looks like Mao has sold the people out, right? Exactly. So Mao is absolutely apoplectic that... Oh, good word. (laughs) Thank you, guys. (laughs) I was focusing on getting my pronunciation right for like a sentence before finishing off there. So Mao's absolutely furious that that Khrushchev's gone and done this. The other big thing was that Mao was the guy who was like the hype man for war. And he was like, yeah... Like who for who stopped the Americans in Korea? Like and like, like that's a like basically it's like getting a draw away from home. Like I don't know, imagine I don't know you're like you're like Sheffield United mm. going to the Etihad and picking up a draw, and like of course coming back to Sheffield you're gonna be pretty pretty chuffed with mm. with that showing. Yeah. Um. Now effectively on like it's an away day. It's not a huge away day. It's down the road to Korea, mm. but on an away day he had to go back. Had stopped. Yeah. Had stopped the Americans who had 
beaten the or contributed to the victory against Germany and had well and truly beat the long-term enemy of China, which was Japan. So basically he's like, yeah, Japan, oh man, if you need some tips on how to uh, not lose to America, I'm your guy. (laughs) He's kind of parading himself around as the guy that knows how to fight. And his military record up until this point is fantastic. It's didn't lose to Japan and they fought like a guerrilla war for a decade, beat against all odds, beat Chiang Kai-shek and then beat or kind of held their own against America. So Mao is kind of trumpeting himself as kind of quite the military tactician and he's kind of egging on war and he's quite ready to go to war with America, but he's like, he wants the Soviets to do it because he's like, if with Soviet support, we can actually win this thing. Khrushchev wants a policy of peaceful coexistence. So Mao was like, oh man, you are, you are such a beater. Like you, mm. uh, Stalin, like Stalin was up for it. He was up for war. Mm. You've got no appetite for this whatsoever. Doesn't have that dog in him. Yeah. Yes. It's probably a good call though, right? You don't want war. War's bad. <laughs> Pacifist. <people. laughs> I didn't realize you hated China. <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't there like, there was this mutually assured destruction thing going on at the time, right? As well. And, China was yet to get their nukes as well. That was the interesting thing. Okay, China okay. would get the hydrogen bomb in the 60s. Like China doesn't, couldn't have a right of reply. They yeah, would yeah, need the okay. Soviets to do it on their behalf. Yeah. So anyway, things are getting pretty tense with Khrushchev. And in 1958, there's three things that start to cause the relationship to rapidly spiral downhill. The first one was that Khrushchev went to Mao and he's like, okay, okay, you don't want war. Like you want war? Okay, okay. What if we had a joint naval fleet? And together, we combined our ships and policed this part of the world together. Mm. And we Make didn't. Ship. Yeah, we didn't have Russian sailors and Chinese sailors. We just had communist sailors. On the surface, friendship. Friendship. <laughs> but in terms of the power dynamics between Russia and China, if Russia's mm. taken the lead in this, it would be a divided ship. Yes. Mm. And like, again, like imagine just trying to communicate instructions, like having like this Russian admiral give I like an see. inspirational speech and you help the Mandarin translator. I can, I can already see clicks forming. <laughs> um, who invited you to this table? Yeah. <laughs> Go back to Nanjing. Yeah. Okay, I put the American accent on. <laughs> Probably the least offensive one you could put on in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those and I, I, I like the great, foosball. A great pastime. The foosball games would be uh, yeah, yeah. Would be quite intense between between two of them. Probably a bit of bocce going down on the, on the chips, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen the Sweet Life on Deck, which is the cruise version of yeah, the Sweet I've Life. Yeah, I've seen it. Of yeah. and Cody. Of I've seen that. I just feel something, some like similar things situations. Like you've got your Mr. Mosby crew mm. and then you have your, your Zach and Cody crew that would be yeah. disrupting the pace. Anyway, Mal wants nothing to do. Just realise they just actually wouldn't have filmed that on a boat. Yeah. yeah. The green screen's pretty bad <laughs> if you go back and look at it. So Mao Zedong actually wants nothing to do with it because he's like, again, you're making me look like a fool here because I'm like the, the beta male going along with like Khrushchev who's leading the joint naval fleet. The idea was this probably wasn't a power play on Khrushchev's part. It's culturally naive and a bit silly to think that this would go down well with Mao. Khrushchev's probably just thinking, we need warm water ports. The east coast of Russia doesn't have warm water ports. We've got to go down to China to get those warm water ports. Mm. So if we just police it together and make sure that we can both get access to it, it's mutually beneficial. Mao doesn't love Khrushchev's suggestion and that starts to peeve him off. 
basically, the second thing was that in 1958, Mao was hinting at a war with Taiwan and kind of reopening the Chinese Civil War and finishing what he started. And to do that, he didn't actually go for Taiwan first. He went for some islands near Taiwan, um, like the Kinmen and Matsu Islands. Khrushchev says, please stop it. I don't like it. <laughs> and actually gets Mao to halt his attack. And Mao's like, what? 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 I thought you oh, had sir, my back. Sir, come on, sir. <laughs> oh, just once, just once. Now, one chance, one chance. Come on, sir, please. <laughs> next time, next time. <laughs> um, and then the ultimate middle finger from Mao to Khrushchev was the Great Leap Forward. We discussed this on the Maopod that basically it was this attempt to rapidly industrialise China and the kind of overarching goal was to overtake Britain's economy. What was included in there was the attempt to overtake the Soviet economy because the theory was we've got more men than the Soviet Union, we can use that manpower and if we can harness it and create an industrial society, we'll be more powerful than the Soviet Union. And so this great leap forward of overtaking the Soviet Union, um, Khrushchev's not just going to sit back and be like, yeah, no worries, no dramas with us. And so 1958, we actually see the two really start to fall out on, on those three issues. It gets worse. Southwest of China, so beneath Xinjiang, we have Tibet. Hmm. At the end of World War, or the end of the Chinese Civil War, Tibet was annexed to be, like it has an on and off relationship with being China or being independent. It gets annexed to be part of the People's Republic at the end of the Chinese Civil War. In 1959, there's an uprising amongst the Tibetan people. And... Again, China's waiting for the Soviet Union to come out and say, Tibet is rightfully China. This is unacceptable terrorism, yada, yada, yada. Um, Soviet Union's like, yeah, they kind of got a point. Okay. And Mao's like, what? Well, hold up. <laughs> no. What happened to the friendship? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying mutual assistance here. <laughs> and Mao gets really paved at that. We fast forward to 1960, and we're just watching this relationship spiral out of control really bad. Um, again, you could easily make a Gossip Girl, like, season just on the, on the sign of Soviet <laughs> yeah, split. Yeah. There's I'm still thinking about what's going on on the uh, the joint navy, <laughs> like you get, like those below deck shows. It's yeah, I'd love to see it. Love to <laughs> get some cameras on there. <laughs> Coming up after Love Island, yeah, <laughs> yeah like or like an all or nothing documentary about. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, but there's like relationships as well, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of the Navy, we see this relationship continue to spiral. So there was an American pilot who flew into Soviet airspace. He crashed. His name was Gary Powers. <laughs> Can you get a more 60s, 60s name? American name. Yeah. So Gary Powers, he was captured and Mao's like, oh yeah, we're on here. Torture him. Get everything you can out of him. Like he's the enemy. So what was he doing in the airspace? Just anyway? doing a regular spy so, recon mission. Yeah. Okay. Getting intelligence. Mm. Gary, Gary, Gary. And basically Khrushchev's like, well, no. He's like, they're spying, they're the enemy. And Khrushchev's like, well, yeah, we all spy on each other. We all know how the system works. We don't want to completely sour our relationship with America over one pilot that probably didn't even get any information anyway. Mm. Let's just be civil. We'll detain him. We'll interview him. If we're happy, we'll release him. And so Mao's pretty furious at that. So very quickly, this relationship is spiraling out of control. And who would have thought Gary Powers is helping drive that way? He's <laughs> stoking the flames here. We go to 1969. They actually go to war against each other. Probably haven't heard of China and Russia going to war against each other mm. in the Cold War era. It's like, again, they're both on the communist side and they, they fight amongst each other. What China did, there was an island called Domensky Island, which was policed by the Soviet Union. The theory was... Let's just suss out Russia. Let's just kind of, yeah, see what their see what their military's made of and just see if they are the leaders of the communist world. 
And they're hoping that if they can not have a full-scale war, but have a little skirmish that Russia can't quite get on top of, that they can then go to the communist world. Um, so you go to like your Eastern European countries and say, hey, we're the leaders of the communist bloc, not Russia. So basically we see Chinese soldiers rock up on Domansky Island and just stab one of the Russian soldiers there. It's pretty brutal. Like it's not a civil death by any means. Of course, that then creates a conflict and creates a series of little conflicts that spread across the Russo-Chinese border. So we've got places like Xinjiang that also have kind of conflict there as well. The death toll for this war on each side is unknown. The, The figures are contradictory on both sides. But we're looking at a death toll anywhere between in the tens and in the hundreds. So it's not a full-scale war by any means, but mm. it's not insignificant. It's not just like two people getting killed. Mm. Like probably a death toll in the hundreds. And so it's at this point where the Russian-Chinese relationship has become completely untenable. These guys that really sh- theoretically should have get on, they had the same interest. They both were enemies of the West. They both occupied the same space. A united Russia and China could have been an absolute powerhouse in the world. They've collapsed in on each other and are at war with each other. Who's watching this thinking? Brilliant. America. And that's where we're going to pick up the podcast next week as we continue. Now, conventionally, we say next week and then we just hit pause and can keep continuing the second half. We are actually going to wait the full length of a pod or the full length of a week Mm. to get the next part of the podcast. That will be coming out next week. See you guys then. I'll catch you later. If you don't see PYO deal or no deal first, which can help <laughs> assist by sharing with just one friend. If everyone just shares with one friend, we become a top 10 history podcast and PYO is much closer to being on deal or no deal. <laughs> <laughs>